Hey guys, you're listening to Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man, the podcast where life issues and the Bible collide. We hope you enjoy today's topic and are encouraged to do some musing yourself. Thanks for listening. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We've we've had our pregame, and it, it had nothing to do with, with this card that we're going to talk about today, but we are excited to hit the record button and be with you this week. I'm Preacher Man, that's Townsend, hey, and we y'all. are musing with Townsend and Preacher Man, and to remind all of you of what's going on, here's how we're trying to inject some some interesting randomness to our well, lives. Well, and structure, not, a little structure. I, okay, okay, it's both. Yeah. Because I have no idea what's going to come out. Exactly. But then I get a time. Okay, yeah. fair, fair, fair. But I've already had two or three people tell me they like this idea, for though. Real? Yeah. Well, that's cool because you know out. me, I get super nervous. Well, and then they get to kind of be thinking <laughs> yeah, about, think about it, it too. Yeah, for sure. Well, that was part of why I thought it would be better to say it in advance. It's yes, like somebody, I like it. So anyway, we have this box of, how many did I say? It was like 200 something. I don't know. It's a lot. It's a big box. I think it's 200-some cards, and they have different types of of prompts on them, questions. And so we're going to draw one card at the end of every episode to let us know what the next episode will be about. And I'm going to remind Townsend of what those categories are. She's going to get first pick this week because I cherry-picked one for today. But she's going to get picked from the very first beginning of you just randomly take one. But I'll remind her of what those mean when we get done at the yes, end of this. I'll and then like it. She'll snatch it, we'll share it, and then we'll be done. But today, today, first, I hope you're doing well. I hope the week has treated you well. I hope that whatever resolution you made for 2023, I hope you're still deep in it. You are halfway through the first month of the year, uh, that, which is just odd to consider. Um, I talk and or complain about the weather Probably too often. It probably drives people nuts, but I have a short sleeve shirt on today. I mean, it's stupid. It's like 74 degrees outside. Yes, and it's kind of humid. Yeah, I don't like, you know yeah. what? And I even I even was thinking to myself and uh, and I'm making a digital devotion that I do every week as well. And I and I said, you know, some people might say, hey, why don't you just move? You know, why don't you move somewhere that, I, that has this winter you're looking for? But the problem is my people are here. And I'm not going to go in. I'm just going to sweat for my people. I have decided that God loves the warm weather people more than he loves me. And so I just, just get used to that and move on. That That's my solution to it. So there it is, the end. Okay. So no weather talk, no 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 grocery talk. I've been talking a lot about how much eggs cost. I even got down, I watch, you know, videos on the internet. You ever watch things on the internet and you started out watching? Oh, yeah. And you just go down a rabbit yeah, hole. Okay. Yes. So I, I ended up. Some, I don't think anyone can keep from that. I don't even remember what I had started looking at, but I end up learning about white label items at the grocery store and it, okay you say white label it's like oh, nowadays somebody thinks that's racially motivated you know <laughs> but it's just the number of items that are that are mass produced and the exact same item is just put in different bags and you pay different prices so like coffee is a good example all the different brands of coffee but the majority of them are roasted and ground by one single producer or vet canned vegetable all these things and so it just it's just crazy the amount of things you get interested in but Today, what I'm interested in is this card, and she's going to go first. Townsend's going first, ladies first, always. But here was the prompt, the card, and it's not supposed to be self-serving, so I don't intend or think that she's required to say it's something she heard from me. Shouldn't, and you know, she should be listening to way smarter people than me. But the card asked us the following question: What sermon? What Bible passage? 
or teaching, sermon, Bible passing, passage, or teaching has influenced you the most. Okay, so I have two. Well, okay, but remember, I added you have to say why. Okay, I'm okay. ready. All right. Okay, so long ways back before I really was super involved in this church and getting to know you. Yes. I had dove off into Charles Spurgeon. Oh. Okay. And I don't really know, like my brain goes 90 miles an hour. So when, you know, like right now we're doing a Sunday school class, which talks about uh, unknown people of the Bible, Mm -hmm. like dives off into like a big array of things, like vast information. It's a lot to take in. When we leave, my husband's holding his head. Like, I don't know what just (laughs) happened. And I leave like, yes, I've just been. And that isn't taught by me. No, it isn't taught by me. Because you filled my head with a whole bunch of air. No, you didn't even say it to me. You said it to the missus about people think I'm way smarter than I am They on here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, my head, I, my neck hurts. My head got so big <laughs> holding it up, you know? And well, so anyway, I am kind of the one that like, I, I like to get off into reading something super deep because it calms my mind okay. down. And that is definitely well, what, that. yes, yes, yes he is. Charles Spurgeon will make you think. So about... Maybe two years or a year before the mission trip, I stumbled upon a sermon of his online about unbelief, the mm-hmm. sin of unbelief. And the passage that he referred to in that was Second Kings seven nineteen, and he talks about you know, and that officer answered the man. God said, "Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, it might be such a thing." And he said, "Behold, shall you see it with your eyes, but you would not eat thereof." And basically, what he—I'm just going to try to paraphrase this and dive off into it because, and I've got to get to my why. Okay. Um, the sin of unbelief is so huge in the world of Christianity, or people who. I don't want to say this, but I need to say this. Think that they are Christians and true believers that we don't even recognize the sin of unbelief. They're so for labeled. me, See? yes, yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for me, that that just trampled all over my heart, my mind, everything, because I started recognizing all of these areas where I literally lived a total faithless life, mm-hmm. like There were things as long as I knew I could attain it, I could physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever the case may be, if I myself Mm -hmm. could be in control and attain it, I could have it. But if I didn't, I wouldn't even put it on my radar, like not at all. And so the unbelief of just even my abilities as a Christian, the Mm -hmm. things that I might be able to not me do, but God do through me, Mm -hmm. I just would wipe them out of my complete sensory package because so me going on a mission trip Mm -hmm. i'm like this is insane like this is not something and so i it was a nagging thought way back and when i stumbled upon this scripture Mm -hmm. and this particular sermon it became a just nagging nightmare in my life after that because i'm like i am sinning every time i don't believe that he can just literally, the unbelief of all the things God can do, the miracles of spiritual warfare, all the things going on around me. Right. And so it was like a two-year, or maybe it was just a year, but it was a long time. Like, it wasn't like I read this sermon, and then two weeks later we went to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, this was a long time, a year, maybe a year and a half. And I had just kept going back to just my unbelief on everything, just... Things that that I just, 
you know, I knew or I thought I knew, but I didn't truly grasp the the depth and mm-hmm. the just whatever of certain Bible stories, things like that. And so that led me to Atlanta, which led me to getting to know you and brought me to a place where, you know, as I was growing and taking in all this information like a mad person, and he can tell you, like, I would just, if someone said something in the middle of church, I would just grab my Bible and start Yeah, you had one it. of those giant ones that you were writing in and Yes, stuff. like a mad person, because I was trying to take in as much as I could. And I would be so frustrated, specifically with my husband, <laughs> um, who, A, also had lots of unbelief, but didn't even seem to even as far as like taking grasp of what was right there at his fingertips. He's just like, whatever, you know, and you said something to me. You said you cannot give someone something that they do not have the hands to hold. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember when you said it to me exactly, but I mean, I, it was on a podcast when you said it, we had just started recording. So now, Charles Spurgeon happened, let's say, 2014 or 15. Right, okay. Atlanta's oh, I, oh, 2016. when you encountered, okay, I'm like, no, he's way older than that. No, no, but no, you, when okay, I encountered when you, okay, okay. the unbelief sermon. So <laughs> okay, my okay, mind, okay. and so the things that, that those were two huge impactful things in my life that totally revamped the way I sought after God. Mm-hmm. Like once I recognized that I had unbelief and I'm like not even understanding who God is, I started then just trying to find every miracle and everything and Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. things that seemed unbelievable. I'm digging into it to see if it is, you know, believable. Well, when you said that to me, I do not, I don't know if you remember, you might can go back and find it on one of the first, I barely talked the whole podcast, like barely spoke. I remember because my brain would not stop. And I was like, at one moment offended, and then the next minute I'm like, hmm. And the next minute I'm like, how can I do this? I don't know. And so that has stuck with me, and I have built on that. I mean, it just has just resonated with me on so many levels in all walks of my life, Mm -hmm. in all disciplines of my life. And I have become more aware of the experiences that I have and the things that I have encountered are the reason that I'm able to hold certain things. Right. And there's certain loads that I was always meant to carry and certain ones that I wasn't because mm-hmm. certain things I don't have the hands to hold. And so it has helped me be a better mother, a better wife. And in doing so, I just, I don't know, it's just been huge for me to understand that. And I mean, you might need to touch on and elaborate exactly why you said that. But but the ultimate background of that is, you know, you're, I'm trying to put on, I always throw my husband under the bus. Sorry, hon. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm wanting him to take on reading God's word sure. and studying God's word the exact same way that, that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. But, A, his brain doesn't even work anything like mine. That's why he's so talented with the horse. And I'm over here managing people. Mm-hmm. And I constantly say this now, you know, in reference to each other. He literally treats horses the way I treat people, like thumb on them, let's go, da da da, you know. And then I treat horses the exact same way he treats people compassionate, I love you, yeah. you know, just soft. And so, even in that same scenario with the hands to hold, that's what he had the hands to hold. Mm-hmm. 
he's always had the hands to hold that because he's had the experience there where in the other situation he didn't. And when I just started looking at people's lives and understanding a little more about what what do they have the hands to hold? Mm-hmm. And I think you were primarily talking about your child a little bit in that situation, but it just it has helped me so much. And so those are two things. And if you if anybody ever has or wants to, you can email us and I can send you the link to the Charles Spurgeon sermon. Mm-hmm. But if you're wanting preacher man sermon on having the hands to hold the experiences, oh, well, then you have to just talk to him about yeah, that. I, I I don't even know how you would search these things to find that. <laughs> but that I mean, those are two that have really set me into a new way of seeking God. Both of those things I'm not going to say like, oh, set Ashley on some path of just tremendous something. Well, but they did. But I they mean, you did because un- the way that I sought after God changed yeah. in those moments. Like so, tons of passages have hit me and made me be a better person and that kind of thing. But those two in, in just in specifically that area of how I sought after Jesus Christ and the way that I pursued him in reference to my life completely changed after those two things. Yeah, I I, I think from you you and I know what I have here, and, and they're both, I think we have the biggest points of growth in this area when every time we stumble on what I, I in my own life refer to as an O moment. Yes. And so an O moment, I'm going to give you a really, really good example. Uh, this, I don't know. This is uh, part of being called in the direction that God called me when I was in the second grade. And let me tell you something. I don't have childhood church stories. I didn't go to church when I was a child, uh, whether I've told it or not. I was raised in a very Christian moral home. I was raised sitting at the dinner table with two parents every night. My father, though, drove an 18-wheeler overnight. So Sunday mornings was a dad is asleep time. As his schedule was, you know, he's an he was a nocturnal animal my entire life. Uh, so, you know, I don't have a lot of those memories to draw from, but I do have a memory being in this. I was in the second grade. So do they teach this earlier than that now? I don't know. But I remember sitting in the second grade and we were making words past tense. Okay. And oddly enough, all of the words that we were making past tense were words that ended in E, like taste or paste or something like, you know, it ended in an E. And the teacher had said, when you make a word past tense, you drop the E and then you add ED. So every time, and we were having to do it like, write paste 10 times in past tense, write taste 10 times in past tense. I would write paste, then erase the E, then, re- then rewrite ED because you drop the E. See, I'm, that's one of my troubles even sometimes dealing with people uh, today is I'm, I struggle with literal. Like, and where I struggle, my youngest son, he knows no other way. Yes. Hyper literal. Like, it's just, well, you said blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but that's not, you know, I'll never forget <laughs> when he was very young and we were driving through town going home. And there was an empty lot for sale uh, on on the road towards our house. And just with such excitement, a little, you know, I'm imagining him. He's so, he was so little. Uh, he still sucked on his fingers back this time. Okay, so he looks out the car window and he goes, wow, there is an invisible house for sale. 
because the sign <laughs> was in a neighborhood. Yay. There was no house in the lot, but he's houses are in these spots, and there's so the, I I just can't see that one that's invisible. And he and we was were like convinced. Yes, so just super literal, and and I see more of him, more of that in him. But I I'm like, yeah, I can understand you. So here I am erasing e, rewriting it for ed. Erase e, ed. Erase e. And I don't know how many of those I had done until my brain finally went, hey, I could just write D. And it was like, oh. oh. So it's the same yes. thing in a far more important way is when you hear those types of things or you experience those types of things and your actual soul is like, oh, yes. you know, I, I, I don't comprehend it all. I, by knowing that I could just write D on ED, I did not master the English language. But I learned something further. I went a little bit further so that I could later go a little bit further and, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, it's the same thing, the holding the hands. It's just a way of thinking about experience and wisdom and knowledge all being combined at once. And you kind of have to add it with uh, a discussion we had once. I don't even know if it was. I don't even know if this was recording. I don't know if we were in this room even where I told you not everybody can do it. Yeah. You know, you you. You think because you can, everybody can. Well, and a lot of people that watch me will think, well, she knows she can, and she's she thinks she's got it more together, or she thinks, and so really, I look at myself, and I'm like, well, if I can, anyone can, you know, like, I don't think there's not one thing special about me, right? and so... You know, but then the more that I have saw the and when you told me that it did help so much to understand, like there are things that God made me specifically for, right. like it is so specific what my job is in him. And now it's like putting all the pieces of the puzzle mm -hmm. together to figure it out that I'm not even supposed to be over here trying to do this, nor is Susie over there supposed to be right. trying to do what I'm doing. Right. You know, and so when I really started, those pieces started sliding into place, the light bulb just shone a little brighter, I guess, you know. Well, and it's, it's a part of human nature where because you can, you think it's no big deal. Right. But that's not true. But we try to downplay it. Like like you just said, I'm not trying to say that this set me on. No, don't don't rob yourself. It yeah. did. It changed how you walked in in that thing. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I just made that comment a couple of minutes ago about having a big head. I, I'm not. I don't believe any of that stuff. But let me use that as an example. Um, maybe somebody thinks, "Wow, you know, y'all sit together and y'all so smart. Y'all y'all know so much." Blah blah blah. I'm a huge idiot. Okay, <laughs> like at whatever somebody might think about me about being a. I, but I'm not. I'm not dumb. You know, I'm I'm academically. Because I was given that ability, uh, and I think lots of people have it, just lots of people don't want to work at it. You know, I've made reference plenty of times about the famous, uh, every time I've heard this story, either plays the violin, plays the piano, or plays the cello. I don't, so that means it's probably not true even, but some man plays a concert at a church. I'm going to say he plays a cello at a church, and as, as it's over, people are walking by thanking him for the concert, and some lady said, oh, I would give my whole life to be able to do what you do, and he said, I did. You know, I yes. did give my whole life to do it. You don't realize, you think everything's just natural unless you are taught to recognize it. No, that's something unique about you. And you have the hands to hold a certain thing that someone else literally doesn't even know how to pick up. Yes. They don't know how to carry this. And yet you've carried it for years. You can't look down on them for not knowing how. Yes. And in fact, you have years of experience carrying it. You'd have to teach them 
And I know you and me, we hate that. You know, yes. it's going to take me twice as long to teach you as to do it. I'm just going to do it. Right. And in turn, I'm going to kill myself. But hey, at least it got done. That kind of thing, which is bad. We, you and I ought to unlearn that. And I, I try to put like markers in my life to, to help me. But I, that's a journey I still am on myself. It's like, if, if someone else needs to be able to hold it, then I have to teach them how to yes. hold it. And, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily like to do that. It takes too much time yes. when your mind is going 900 miles an hour. Exactly. So. Okay. So mine is, uh, it was, it's weird because I'm the one who preached it, if that makes sense. But to anybody that's listening, if you're a pastor, you know that, you know, you're, if nobody else gets anything out of a sermon, you do. And so, um, there are lots of things that, that I have preached that, uh, Nobody would ever really know, I guess, save me telling them that 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 it, it impacted me in a way, or that I, you know, spent time. I had to like maybe not not physically because who uses real books anymore? All of my study tools are digital, <laughs> but but you know, I just kind of had to push the books away, as it were, and just sit there. Sometimes in shame, sometimes overcome. Uh, but this one really helped me answer a question because I struggle. You know, you're in you're in the business world for sure, and lots of people would know this anyway. Metrics, a way to measure success, measure growth, measure whatever. So every time I would make a decision about something in our church or or my family or whatever, I'm I'm trying to find a metric so that I can say I did it or it was good enough or that was the right way to do it. I've confessed many times I'm a perfectionist. My High school and undergrad careers wouldn't necessarily <laughs> reveal that completely. <laughs> okay, but by the time I'm in graduate school, I have surrendered fully to uh, God is not being honored unless I make an A. And there, I even mentioned that recently where there were, there are from master's and doctorate, there are two B's on my entire transcript and they honestly crushed me. Like, <laughs> and it's stupid. I can laugh at it now, but then it was not funny, not even remotely. So, I'm always looking for metrics. Why do I do this? Why should we do this? How should we do this? And how will I know it was correct? Well, there came a time where um, I was working my way through the gospel uh, according to Luke. And I, I like the way that Luke writes Luke, Matthew, Luke, Mark, all of them, they are copying off of one another, if that makes sense. They're yeah. called the synoptics They see that's to see the same. And so Mark probably wrote his first Luke and Matthew uh, afterwards, so they're probably both, as we would say, cribbing <laughs> off of Mark in some way. And if you're a real huge Bible nerd, then you would be familiar with something called the Q. And Q is perhaps the document, if it exists, that predates Mark, that Mark was making reference to. That So anyway, doesn't none of that really matters. But I like the way Luke writes. I like the way he tells us his purpose in the beginning, that he was trying to collect every piece of information that he could. I like the uniquenesses that he includes in certain experiences with Jesus that maybe Matthew and Mark don't include. I actually like knowing the fact that Luke wasn't there. He was not present during any of this because it speaks to his hunger to know. And so when he's talking about the virgin birth, we don't know this. He didn't write it down. But if he's treating this like a newspaper reporter, then who is the source for his information when he's talking about Jesus's birth, he's, he's talking, it's gotta, he's gotta be talking to his mother. And so Mary is telling him what happened or, you know, that's just beautiful to me. And, and that's why he is able to include the part about Jesus going to the temple at, at eight days old to be officially named and all that and meeting Simon or Simeon, Simon and Anna. Anyway, anyway, so I was in Luke. 
And I constantly, even today, deal with this nagging issue of finding a metric. How do I know I'm doing enough? How do I know I'm doing right? How do I know all of these things? And I came across at the time, and it was the right time, I suppose, for me to come across it, Luke 17. And in Luke 17, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples, and he's talking about stumbling blocks, difficulties. And so immediately my ears kind of became more sensitive than normal because I was like, yeah, so how do I know that what I'm doing isn't causing people to stumble? How? And so he, and then he says, woe to the one to, through whom it comes. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, well, what if that's me? How do I know? What does that mean? And so he's talking about uh, being on guard, rebuking sin, and all of a sudden, in verse, uh, let's see, in verse 4, he's talking about forgiveness, but then in verse 5, the apostles say, Lord, and I, I never will forget noticing, it says at the beginning of chapter 17 that he was teaching his disciples, and so he's teaching, but disciple is not an apostle. That's different. Disciple was everybody that 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 guard, that followed him, that that studied under him, that called him teacher. I'm a disciple. An apostle is someone who was in the twelve. They were the apostles, and so it stuck out so hardcore to me for the first time. They were the ones asking in verse five. So the regular old me's in the crowd didn't have hands to hold the depth of what he was saying. But these 12 have been closer than they have. And so they asked, and they don't ask a question like, how can this be? What are you talking about? They ask, Lord, increase our faith. They're asking for the ability to do it the way he wants it done. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm in that and I'm like, okay, that's exactly where I want to be. I, I don't want you to have to explain yourself. I just want you to tell me what to do and then give me the faith to do it. And then immediately in my head and any other brothers that might ever stumble across this, there is at least one more because he's me. I understand when you know so hard that what you're about to do is exactly what he wants to do. And as soon as you know that with all the certainty in the world is this ice cold fear that people won't understand. Like I, un I know that I my heart is with you. When you're in a season like that, I have tons of compassion for what you're going through because I've, I've been there. And so maybe this would help you too. Right at the end of this little section, this is where Jesus is telling them, I need you to do things. He uses the idea of preparing food and clothes and you do whatever they is asked of you. You do. So he's saying, whatever I'm going to ask you, you just do it. You don't have to understand. You don't have to repeat it. You just do what I tell you when I tell you. And then he tells them this final thing, and it's in verse 10. So Luke 17, 10 is, is maybe one of the most profound moments I ever had in my own Bible study. And so this is what it says. So you too. So he's used an example of, uh, of somebody who, a commander and someone who gets commanded. And he says, you know, the, the one who's commanded uh, it's no question. The slave just does what he's told. He doesn't, doesn't have to debate about it. He just does it. And then he says in verse 10, so you too, when you do all the things that are commanded you, simply say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. And it was something about the word ought. I preached a whole sermon about the word ought. 
I just ought to have done it. That's why I did it. He told me to do it. I ought to do it because of who he is. So that's why I do it. And I, I, I can't even make it make as much sense talking about it. It as, makes perfect sense. It really does. But it was just the realization that you need to know nothing. You don't need to know what's come before. You don't need to know what's about to happen. You don't need to and have anything to compare definitely it to. Don't have to. Right. You don't have to have like a, well, you know, and you definitely don't need to know what's going to happen once it's done. Jesus said, all you do is what you ought to do. I mean, even my child comes in in the evenings and says, I got all smileys today. Right. Okay. So we teach from a young age to look for the smiley. Yeah. You just, you know, you, you just, you're, you're program to do it. Yeah. But we may not always get the smiley when it comes down to Jesus Christ's commandments to us. I mean, sure. you're going to know you did what you were supposed to do. That's enough. And it's like um when all of the tendrils start coming out and you realize well this has to do with when it rubs somebody wrong. Well, I was just doing what I ought. But you have to know that you can't be like, well, I was doing all to and I told you off. No, no, no. Because there's nowhere in here that, that you would have been told that. Right. So it's knowing. I mean, he's talking, without even having to say it, he's talking about morality. He's talking about faithfulness and relationships. He's, talk, oh, he's talking about everything. He says, you just do what you ought. Ought means I, it's, it's what I know is obvious he wants me to do. Which circles back to increase our faith. It automatically right. happens. They're asking for the ability to do what they ought to do. Yes. Because right when they said increase our faith, it's when he's tossing off this, you forgive them seven times and then forgive them seven. You just keep on doing it because forgiving is what you ought to do. And they don't try to explain that away, which is you and I both know is what we try to do. Yes. Uh, I hate... Uh, this was a part of the white label rabbit hole <laughs> that I was reading about groceries was how alcohol is made and how it's branded. And, you know, you pay all this money for this liquid. And what is the sole purpose? It was really interesting. Those guys or whoever it was, the viewpoint, what is the sole purpose of drinking alcohol? No one says, I am super thirsty. Let me grab a fifth of whiskey. Right. right. You might say, I'm super thirsty. Let me grab a Gatorade. I'm super thirsty. Let me grab a bottle of water. But nobody, you're not drinking alcohol because you're thirsty. You drink it for the result. Yeah? Yes. But the result is almost without fail destined to become ignoring pain and slavery to a substance. Yeah. And so I hate the number of people who, before it's maybe gone that far, seek so hard to make excuse for why what they're doing is right. This is the opposite of what Jesus was saying, because Jesus was saying, you just do what you ought to do. In other words, what you know I've said, you just do that, because you know, well, that's what I... Yeah, just stick to it. You might change the word ought to supposed to. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to make an excuse for my behavior. I'm supposed to do what he told me to do. I'm not supposed to withhold grace from you. I'm supposed to pour it all over you. I'm not supposed to hold a grudge. Yeah. I'm supposed to forgive, right? He's So when you do everything I've told you, people are going to ask you, why are you that way? Why do you do that? Because I'm supposed to. Because I ought to is what he... And that just changed the way I understood my need for metrics. I don't. Now, the world still wants them. The world... I can go to any, any situation where... Um, where Preachers might be involved or it might be a ministry-focused thing. And when you introduce yourself, 
And you, well, tell me about where you serve. And you, you say the name and the location. That's default. Here's some behind the scenes preacher gathering. <laughs> you, here's the name and location. Oh, yeah. How many do y'all run in Sunday school? Boom, metric. Yeah. Because if I have a number that's smaller than you who just asked, I'm less important than you. That is default human response, right? So, for example, um, my wife and I get the chance to go to a conference that happens to line up at the exact same time that our kids are in an honor choir on the other side of, of Mississippi, which is great timing because they spend a lot of time in rehearsals during these handful of days. And so we'll be able to do something together while they're in rehearsals. We wouldn't be able to do anything anyway. The man leading the conference, I haven't seen in 15 years, but he was my Christian counseling professor. Well, I might go up to him and say, his name is Dr. Tate Cockrell. I might be, Dr. Cockrell, it's a pleasure to be here. You don't remember me, but 15 years ago, you were my Christian counseling professor at New Orleans Baptist Seminary. Oh, yeah, whatever, however we talk. He might say, well, how are you doing? In that moment, I might be tempted to consider, well... Does he want to know where I pastor? Does he want to know how my church is doing? Does he want to know about about my family? Does he want to know about my community? Does he just want to know about me? What does that question mean? How are you doing? You see? And normal people, I don't think, might struggle with that question. Well, but, you know, just like you are talking on this specific podcast to a lot of barrel racers. Right. And everything in barrel racing is metric. Time. I mean, it is yeah. time. Like it lasers. Is, I, I, you know, y'all were yes. real obsessed with those lasers. Yes. You know, yeah. And then, so not only that, but, but the metrics of, you know, does your horse have a certain name on its papers? Right. Does it have a certain incentive attached to its pedigree? Mm-hmm. Does everything about our world, from our trucks, our trailers, the, the amount of money... Equistat is a thing. Right. Equistat is your equine st- statistics. Mm-hmm. What has it won? What has it done? And then as a trainer, you know, or a person who does that for a living, you can find yourself constantly consumed by it. Mm-hmm. Well, our phones and our computers have led us to a place where the metrics of life is shoved in our face 24-7, whether mm-hmm. it's real or not. Right. And so then... We start comparing to what we think the metric should be mm-hmm. instead of just what we ought. And so even my husband has said multiple times over just the last year, you know, I've recognized that I went through about two years of it being the hardest time in my life because I was trying to, you know, put out a number mm-hmm. that really didn't even there was no there was no ceiling. There was no right. mandatory thing. He had put it on himself, and then when he went back to just doing what he ought, the other stuff happens. Yeah, it's and weird. And the same is like when, in the dental world. I mean, you have to be able to pay the bills, or mm-hmm. you can't have people working there. And, I mean, they need to buy their groceries, speaking right, sure. of white labels. <laughs> and so, you know, in order to take care of things, you have to meet a certain number. You have to. Yeah. But... My boss says it all the time, and he truly lives by this. If you do what you ought, the number will be there. Right, exactly. And that's how our faith life ought to be. But take any, take the horse world, take the church world, take the business world of any type. You're always trying to compare yourself to somebody else. Always. You always are. Yes. But you're never, ever trying to compare. Well, okay, let me say it this way. Maybe in the church world, this is the only way that one works. But you rarely want to compare yourself to the absolute best. Because 
where you are, well, that's not really attainable right. anyway. So you always think I'm just that's going to a little bit much, yeah. a little bit more than me. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to try to knock them down, you know. So Mr. Townsend is pretty good, I, but I, I bet I could get him. I bet I could get him. And so it's going to matter <clears throat> what the name on my saddle bags are. No, y'all don't have those. That's uh, okay. But my <laughs> the name on your saddle, hey, that's the thing. Okay, saddle. I shouldn't have said bags. I could I could have sounded like I knew what I was doing. Okay, but take the your spiritual life. You are literally told to compare yourself to one person, to the perfect man. But nobody wants to do that. No. You just want to be a little bit better than the one sitting next to you in the pew. And you're doing this all the time. I'm not a drug addict. I don't beat my wife. At least I'm not. Exactly. And then we tell this lie, but by the grace of God, there go I. You don't believe that. You don't believe that it's God's grace. Because you think those people deserve what they got. You think they made bad choices and you're better because you didn't and make you those know, choices. And you know, honestly, my unbelief was tied to so much of that because there were so many instances in my life where I'm like, yeah, but there's going to be things you're going to ask me to do and I'm going to be able to do it. There's no way such and such could. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, you know, my uncle dealt with a drug problem and I never once actually believed. And I mean, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> But I just had this such unbelief in me of once I was so let down yeah. that there would just not be any any way. I'm like, I mean, it's like I would tie God's hands. Like mm-hmm. my unbelief was just so unbelievable yeah. to my own self. Um, and I mean, now there's so many things that have happened and I look back on my stupidity. Right. I mean, ignorance too. I mean, I knew, but I refused to even mm-hmm. believe it. And so, like you said, it, it just is insane to me how we continue to live our life. And like you said, we just go on and we complicate such an uncomplicated sure, it's, thing. That's, and that's, I guess, why this was like so in the... And it's still, every time I go back to this, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I can remember how I felt that, for that, that time. You want this to be harder than I told you it is. It is really simple. Uh, you know, we in, I, we in I we end this podcast the same way I end every digital devotion. Every the same way, you have one job. Yep. Now it might take on multiple forms, but it's one job: love everybody. End. Period. Uh, how? Why is that? So well, I'm not. They don't love me back. I, I don't care. He didn't say that. He didn't say to, that. The guarantee that they would love you back. In fact, he said, if you're really committed to me, they'll hate you for it. Yeah. Do it anyway. Do what you ought. You know what I mean? I mean that's. I remember you, you, you were very, I mean, who wasn't, I don't know, but um, surely everybody I know, at least that I'm still around, we were very impacted that first time. I'm pretty sure in that group, none of us had really done anything like that before. Right. And so you were with me in the smaller group at that, at that um, uh, homeless, homeless shelter. shelter. We didn't clean. We went downstairs and talked to people. Which is crazy to me because that. Is really not like me. It's like very far outside of normal. Yes. Well, I remember when that guy, the older guy who was in charge, when he told, he said, you know, you guys have one big difference between everybody you're about to meet. Well, of course, I'm like, yeah, I got money or I got a house or I got whatever. And he said, you have somebody to call. Yes. And it just blew me away that I was too caught up in the fact of my stuff when I didn't realize (laughs) how many times the Bible says, your stuff doesn't matter. No one with all the possessions, Jesus says, the, even if you had everything, your life doesn't consist of all of that stuff. Yep. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3 said, you can have money, but you'll never be happy because that's just vanity. And yet that's exactly where my mind went. Oh, yeah, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I have something over these people because I got an income. I have a job. I have a vehicle. No, they, they at some point had some of that. What they didn't have was someone to call when they were at their lowest. Yep. And so now some of them, I was, didn't know that, but I was about to meet someone who had li- lived there for 13 years or six years. You know, I, I expected these people to be like, oh, I've been here two weeks or three months. 13 years, this guy said. I'm like, what? No air. Doesn't smell pleasant. The food is going to be moldy old stuff like we were eating. Yes. You know, and, and I'm thinking, this is life for 13 years. You're living out of a backpack. Socks are one of the most important things to you. I don't get it. I, I don't. See, I couldn't hold that. And it's crazy that you said that about socks because while we're there, getting new socks is one of my most favorite things. Oh, I, I always it makes get me it feel at like Christmas. A king. I love it. Oh. And I literally, when we were there at that place, I was wondering, like some of the guys, I was like, I wonder how many new pair of socks they've ever yeah. had, you know, like things like that that I had never thought about right. before. And so all of that added up, I guess, at the time, because it was sometime later that I see, you just do what I told you. And when somebody asks you why... Because I'm supposed to. Yes. The, I don't have to explain Jesus's plan because he says I can't know it. Not that he doesn't want to share it with me, but he says you can't. God says my ways are higher. You can't know. You can't comprehend. If I told it to you, you still wouldn't believe it. So just do it. Do what I tell you. And if they ask, it's because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's what I ought. And that just radically changed a part of how I understood being a minister, being a servant, being a faithful disciple. I just out here doing what I ought. I'm not, and it's hard. I still want to get my little metrics out and be like, oh yeah, that was six or whatever, but no. I mean, I'll know the information for the sake of knowing it. I feel it's irresponsible not to like, hey, I think maybe we could have used our money somewhere else better or hey, that was good, but maybe we went a little too overboard. You know, recently we did a a thing and, and it was because we had been surviving off of an overflow of our, our fall festival thing. You know, normally when people buy candy, if we don't give it away, they're like, here, have it. And we would keep it and keep using it fall festivals in the future. Well, as the crowd gets bigger over the years, that run, you know, now we don't have as much left. We're giving it all away. So we had to buy more this year. Anyway, the number was much larger. And I was like, oh, we need to look at this based on, you know, being responsible. So sometimes those metrics are there just to keep me responsible, but right, never right. to judge, never to judge the why. You know, in your life, your your why is because I ought to, not, oh, because it's so beneficial. And, you know, I'm not saying be stupid. I'm just saying it was it altered me when I realized it's just what I'm supposed to do. That's yeah, it. It's, it's really just easy. very simple. So anyway, I probably talked too long about that. But, hey, there you go. Unbelief, hand-holding, <laughs> and doing what you ought. That is how Townsend and Preacher Man would answer the question of what sermon, Bible passage, or teaching has influenced you the most. And now, now we get to pick now, a new one. I don't know where it's easiest. Okay, flavor. tell me my colors. Okay, so the colors are, you see at the top of them, yellow are questions that are going to be related to your faith journey. Okay. And for context, that's what this one was. Okay. This was yellow. I like Green it. is the world around us. Okay. So look outside yourself and see how your faith influences your actions and your response to others. Okay. And if I had to guess, that's like worldview, like yes. how do you, whatever. Okay, then blue is personal beliefs. And it says of that one, this is an opportunity to really understand what you believe. Talk about specific topics that impact your faith. And then the red one, easiest just to remember, Bible trivia. It, the red section is Bible truth. It says, discuss what the Bible says about foundational Christian beliefs guided by relevant scripture. 
Ooh. So you just you decide. That's a toughie, but I'm going with green. Okay. Okay. All right. Why? Oh my jeez. <laughs> you. Why do you think there is so much suffering in the world? Oh. Okay. Well, I'm so glad that I let you pick first. <laughs> Great. There we go. Fabulous. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> This is, if you're going to think about this for a week with us, uh, if you're looking it up for an answer to see if we mention certain things, you can go, I'm even telling you this, you can Google the problem of evil. That is the, yes. that is the sort of academic overriding question that is philosophy, the problem of evil. This is, <laughs> I can't believe of all these cards you picked. I know. Okay. But anyway, uh, this is most often, I just happen to know this, this is when you ask people, why don't you believe this is the most common reason? Yes. And so if you're wanting some hard down facts, uh, we were asked this in our youth room after we lost one of our youth to, mm. to cancer. Mm -hmm. And so we literally have dove into this quite a bit. So I'm, I am excited about it because I feel like that there are a lot of people in listener land that might encounter sometimes that you can throw sure. some hard down facts at some people who might not believe because of this very thing. So and, I'm and excited. I, I hate that uh, most often I think people have been told that the response to this is God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Well, I know. tell that to somebody whose child is dying or exactly. has died of cancer is boo-boo. So, okay, there you go. Why do you think there is so much suffering in the world. That is next week's topic. We thank you for being here for this week's topic, and we're glad that some of you have already stated that you might uh, kind of get a kick out of this and enjoy it for a little while. We don't have to do it forever, obviously, but uh, we're going to have fun while it lasts. Oh, so yeah. thank you all very much for being who you are, for being a part of Listener Land. You are the whole reason that we sit here and do this each and every week, and so we are grateful for you. We love you. And as always, before we totally say goodbye, I want to remind you, no matter where you go and what you're about to do once this ends, your only job is to pour out love and kindness on the world because of the love and kindness that Jesus has poured out on you. Amen. Thank you all. We'll Bye see you next time. Bye-bye. Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man is a podcast dedicated to encouraging you as you think and start your own discussions at home about God and the Christian worldview. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating on the platform of your choice and share our podcast with folks you know. If you need to get in touch with Townsend or Preacher Man, you can email either of them at mtpm.podcast at gmail.com.